I invite you to have your Bible. If you have a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 13 as we continue in this series of looking at what is really true. Uh, what is really true, particularly about Jesus. And if you look at the Gospel of Luke, it's basically 24 chapters. You can divide it somewhat in half, and you'll, you'll find out the first half of it is, is truth about Jesus, how he came into this world, how he gathered the people who would follow him as he began living out and doing the miraculous that would draw people to be convinced that the claims he was making were actually true. Then about halfway through the book, he, he begins to, to change the emphasis as Luke records his life, and it's not so much talking about Jesus, but it's talking um, about what Jesus actually said. And so we see Jesus really preparing people for the most significant event in all of history, that the one who claimed to be the Messiah, the one who claimed to be a God in the flesh, was actually going to die. And when you think about that, that's, that's just not something that we can comprehend. How can God, who, who is from eternity past to eternity future, actually die, and yet he died in our place when he went on that cross, taking our sins upon him so that we could be forgiven. But grave, the grave could not hold him, and he rose from the dead. Is it goes from talking about Jesus then from looking at the words of Jesus and the truth from Jesus. But as we think about truth, and I think we would all be willing to admit this, sometimes the truth we hear is the things we don't want to hear. And hopefully you've got people in your life that will tell you the things that not only lift you up and encourage you, but also tell you the things that, that bother you that really kind of strike you to the core of who you are, and, and, you, and you just don't, you don't, wanna, you don't wanna hear it. You, you really, you don't want, you, you wish you could just put your head in the sand and just ignore what's going on around you, or maybe what's going on inside you. Well, this is where we really find Jesus in the passage we're gonna look at, and, and we talked about it a little bit in terms of announcing what I was gonna talk about this morning. Uh, last week, we talked about, are doubts okay on Easter? And the truth is, our doubts are okay not only on Easter, but every Sunday after that and every day after that. But the really question is, what are you going to do with your doubts? Are you going to take those things that would bother anybody that you would have questions about that maybe you don't have the full answer for? Are you going to pursue those things and say, are, are there some answers? Are there some things that I can hold on to that I'm not living out my life by the things I doubt, but by the things I know are true? Even, even though I don't necessarily like everything I know that is true. And I share with you that I was going to talk about this week is, is, it, is it possible to believe in a God when life is not always fair? In fact, some people don't necessarily doubt the reality of God, but the real, they doubt the reality that there is a good God. How, how can you believe in God when bad things happen? And maybe you're thinking, well, maybe life's not quite as bad as people say it is. It's just interesting what happens in a week. Um, just from some headlines over the last couple of days. At least 15 killed in bus crash involving Canadian junior hockey team. A small town in Canada's a province uh, mourned Saturday after a bus carrying a junior hockey team collided with a tractor trailer leaving 15 people dead and at least 14 injured. And what were the ages of these? Anywhere between 16 and 21. Dead. Man, 67, killed in raging fire at Trump Tower in New York. 
Or how about this? This, is a, this one hit the airways so strongly a few weeks ago. And now the reality of what happened at the Parkland, Florida High School. It has to be perfect, putting out a yearbook after a Parkland shooting at Stoneman Douglas High School, which normally a yearbook presents all the the happy moments of the year at, at high school and all the sports activities, drama, whatever it might be, the things, prom. But now they, they, can't, they can't ignore that this particular high school this year, 17 people were killed in a deadly rampage uh, by a former student. Syrian rescuers, medics say, have determined that a gas attack near the capital killed 40 people. You think about ways that people can die in the more the conventional method, but how about chemical warfare? It's starting up again. This kind of struck me. Austin bombings cast unwelcome spotlight on homeschooling. Now, now, the reason I raise this one is because, okay, out there, it's so dangerous. We've got to do everything we can to protect our, our children. And one of the motivations of homeschooling, there's a lot of reasons why people homeschool, and, and I'm for all kinds of schooling. In, in our, as we raised our four kids, at times we homeschooled them. At time, at most, a lot of times they were in public school, and some were in Christian school. We, we used all forms you could think of. I was tempted not to school them at all, but anyway, it was, you know... The, <laughs> You know, yeah, we've, we've done them all, okay? And one of the reasons, and in fact, in the article I was reading, uh, the gal, Pamela Crouch, said, well, why did you homeschool? We homeschooled because we had decided that we wanted to keep them safe. And part of the reason they want to keep them safe is, is getting safe from, be, uh, from those who might bully them in school. But at least they were honest, and not only did we want to keep them from encountering school bullies, but we didn't want them to become school bullies. We wanted to raise them to be virtuous little people that would become virtuous big people. We wanted to do everything we could to raise them in an environment that would be conducive to to safety and living life to its fullest. But what they determined is that, and in fact this is what they called him, the Austin Serial Bomber, Mark Conduit, 23 years of age, was homeschooled in his maturing years. So you look at this, and we could just we could ramp up the list of things that go wrong, and we can try everything we can to somehow keep people safe or control how they're going to turn out. And then we look at the things that just happen. And we're saying, God, if you are there, what are you doing? How, how can you allow these things to happen? And if you, don't think, if there, if you believe there is an enemy, an evil one, and he, he doesn't dress in red and have a pitchfork, but what he does is he tries to deceive people as they think about God, he uses all that to have people doubt that, that there is a God, and if there is a God, that God can't be good because look at all the things that are bad that happen. And so this leads us up to the passage in which we're, we're at this morning in Luke chapter 13 in which Jesus speaks to 
what people are thinking in that day. Let me, let's be honest. And sometime, sometimes we have a tendency, or at least a number of us have the tendency to say, well, we're living in the worst of times, right? We, we think it, it can't get any worse. We, we look back at the past and say, those were the good old days, right? Most people don't say those are the good bad days, you know. Those are the good old days. Look at, there has always been horrific things happening throughout history. And so we of, of faith, or people who are considering being people of faith, have to say, well, how do, you, how do you deal with that? Where is God when we seem to, to need him most? Well, this morning, you have your outline. It's a pretty simple one this, this week. I, I, I just want to draw some principles for us to consider. Well, what is the truth about fairness? And if I were to phrase it another way, I could say, well, how can we believe in a God when life's not fair? Uh, can God be good if life is not always fair? Now, let me pose the question and then look at, the, at, at, at some passages. Is it fair when bad things happen to, and I put this in quote, good people, or do bad things only happen to bad people? Now, if we were brutally honest, when, uh, when people we aren't particularly impressed with, when bad things happen to them, we could at least honestly say this, we don't feel quite as bad as when bad things happen to good people, right? And, and so this is the issue. Well, okay, I can understand you, you know, bringing judgment on somebody that, or allowing bad things to happen who've done horrific things to others, right? There probably wasn't a whole lot of mourning when Hitler died, right? There, was, there wasn't a whole lot of people crying in the streets. Because we, we, we basically think he got what he deserved. You all figured out that fill in the blank, right, without my help. Not peeing up on the screen. When, when bad things happen to bad people, we think they got what they deserve. But when, when good people, when things happen to them, man, we really struggle with that. Well, let's look at this encounter with Jesus. Luke chapter 13, beginning verse 1. Now, on the same occasion, there, there were some present who reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And I'll try to explain that in a moment. And Jesus said to them, and Jesus thought, this is going to be a teachable moment. Do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this fate? Now, he was speaking to some people. And in a place like this, if I, if I were to ask us, uh, are we all sinners? Now, wherever you are on your faith journey, you've probably come to a place like this. And you would say, well, I, I have to admit that no one out there is, fill in the blank, perfect, right? You're two for two tonight, today, right? No one's perfect. We would all agree with that. So we say, okay, we're all sinners, but some sinners are more sinners than others, right? That's how we kind of put it. So that's how Jesus said, okay, I know you know they weren't perfect, but I'm asking you this question. Did somehow, wherever you want to draw the line, these were significant sinners enough that they got what they deserved. And trust me, this is exactly what they were thinking. And what had happened there is that, and we don't know a whole lot about it other than what the, the kind of put, putting the pieces together because there isn't a whole lot of extra biblical accounts about this. But Pilate, Pilate wanted to take control of Israel. And so he, he, he often flaunted the power of Rome to the point that he got in trouble with Rome by the things he did. But in this particular case, if, if ever he could do something that would be justified by Rome is when he had people in his midst that Rome thought might be a threat to them. 
And so they had some people from Galilee coming to worship, and they were probably people like Simon the Zealot that were somewhat zealous people that had some kind of a track record of, of looking ways to be uh, insurrectionists against Rome, and they were, they were in worship. Well, if you really want to control them, you've got your enemy right where you, what? Want them. Now you're three for three. Right where you want them. I mean, they're, they're worshiping. They don't have their guns out. They're, they're not prepared for battle. And, and so what did he do? Right in their worship, he slaughtered them. Now, now these Galileans, whether, and all of them weren't necessarily zealots in terms of people who were trying to overcome Rome in a, in a military way because they realized that was a losing battle, but there were enough of them there that Pilate used his authority and just, just killed them. And, and so the religious folk were, were kind of stepping back and they were wondering, wow, wow, what happened? How did this happen? Why would God allow people in worship to, to actually get killed by you know, the Roman powers that were? And, and, and so what Jesus would ask questions of is he would ask questions of people he knew that's what they were really questioning in their own mind about. So he asks them that question. Are they worse sinners than others? And then he answers his own question because they were probably afraid to answer the question. He says, I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. What did Jesus just do? He told them a truth they didn't want to what? Here. Well, you're four for four today, all right? I mean, wait a minute. We're not, we're not talking about we're not talking about me. We're not talking about us. We're talking about them. And all of a sudden, he just turns around. You're worried about how bad they were and did they deserve, get what they deserve. But I'm telling you, we're all, not including himself, we're all in the same boat, as it were, that whatever length of time you live here on this earth. Unless you do something, something is going to happen to you. You will perish unless you, what's the R word there? Unless you repent. What he's really speaking of is, is we think about, and some of you have heard this, Ray, the whole issue is, you know, why do bad things happen to good people? And the really answer to that is there's really no what? Good people. Now, that, that rubs us the wrong way because from a human perspective, and it, it makes total sense. There, there are some sinners, like a Hitler, that we'd say, oh, look, they, they do a lot worse things than other people. But what we're doing, we're measuring ourselves and others by a, a standard that God's not, not using, right? If, if you ever seen this experience, like you just put on something new and clean, and maybe, maybe it's white, and all of a sudden something happens, and and it, you get one little spot on it, right? And, and, and what do you think about that shirt right now or blouse or whatever it might be? You think it's what? Ruined, right? Why not? It's only a little spot. Why are you worried about it? The rest of it is pure white or whatever the color is. You get one little spot and it's, it's ruined, right? And now, just amplify that in so much greater way. When we think of a holy God, and let me tell you, we got a few more than one or two spots on our shirt. We are guilty before God. Let me, let me just throw a few passages at. First Kings chapter 8, verse 46. There is no one who does good. 
Psalm 141 says the same thing. Psalm 14, there is no one who does good. Psalm 143, too, in God's sight, no man living is righteous. That's a truth I really don't want to hear. Because that, that includes me. That includes all my loved ones. We, we desperately need to do what Jesus said, said to the crowd there. Don't be worrying about those who got killed in, in worship, whether they're worse off than somebody else in terms of their behavior here on this planet. We are all in the same condition. We desperately need to be forgiven. And, and the first step toward it is that we need to repent. Now, the word repent is an interesting word in the original language. It, it really means to change your mind. You say, well, that, that doesn't seem too difficult to do, but, but it has some depth to it. Because initially what it's saying, change your mind about how you see yourself. Now, now most of the time, I see myself as being pretty good, right? And God said, before, before the cross is applied to your life, you, you are not pretty good. You are guilty before God. And unless I change my mind about my condition, I'll never run to the only person who can deal with my problem. Because we've got to change our mind about who we are. We are, before Jesus, guilty because of our sin. It's not that we just commit sins. We are a sinner. So we've got to change our mind about how we see ourselves, and we've got to change our mind about how we see Jesus. Some people put it this way. you got to turn from something and turn to someone. And this, this gets it out of all the religiosity, isn't it? We're talking, we got to turn from our sin. We don't want to live that way. And we want to turn to the only one who will rescue us. That's what it means to be a Savior. He's rescuing us from our condition of being separated from God and brought to God. Jesus told them what they didn't want to hear. Is it fair when bad things happen to good people or do bad things only happen to bad people? We we are all in a condition and there's only one response. We've got to repent, change our mind of how we see ourselves and run to the one we've got to change our mind about who Jesus is. And really, if if you go through the Gospel of Luke or the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of John, isn't that the singular issue? How do you see Jesus? And how do you see yourself? John tried to prepare them. He said, look at uh, John the Baptist. You know, repent <laughs> for the kingdom of God is at hand. He was preparing them for Jesus' coming because he knew unless they saw themselves as one needing personally the Messiah, they were not going to get it. And then when Jesus came, they had to see him as he is. But, but let me, if I somehow don't get a, into the, the fairness issue here is life is not going to be fair because we're living in a world that's not fair because of our sin that has brought chaos into this world. And, and when people are in, in certain experiences, it's not because God's judgment necessarily has come upon them. You know, that familiar passage to some of you in John chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. The disciples asked the question, 
And as he passed by, he saw a man, this is Jesus, blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, <laughs> this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? And Jesus answered, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, he, he did not mean by that that the blind man was sinless or his parents were sinless. He said he just, they just live in a sinful world and bad things happen. Bad things happen. And just like parents have said to us when we were little, little people, you know, that's not fair. And we say life is not what? Fair. Because we live in an unfair world. It's not because God's not fair. Because we live in a world that has been affected by sin. Well, well let's move on. Jesus responds to another particular issue. Or, or do you suppose, verse 4, that those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem? And so he, they, just, he did what, you know, I, I did to begin the service, you know, listing you all kinds of horrific things that are happening just recently in our world where it's a bus of junior hockey players hitting a tractor and 15 dying, 14 in, seriously injured, someone dying in a tower, someone experiencing being in a school where all kinds of things happened. 17 people died. Even in homeschooling movements that people can go on a rampage. He said, well, look, how about, the, how about another illustration? How about the, how about the people who were by a, a, a spring, a, the, the pool of Siloam, and, and a, either a guard tower or just a decorative tower fell, and 18 of them died? When things happen like that, the first, and this begins with the letter W. I'm helping you out on this one. Our first question of God is what? Why? God, why? And why these people? And sometimes we answer for God and we, we get the wrong answers because they were, they were badder than other people. If that were to happen, if we really lived that way, everything that happened to us, we would just go, we'd be going crazy every time something happened that we didn't like. I was giving to Kim before the day. Can I just share you an experience in the life of the pastor's family as of yesterday? Okay. We're at, we're at home, we're, we're in our living room, and all of a sudden we hear this horrific sound. Okay. And this, this is what begins to happen at our house. This is 6 p.m. yesterday, all right? You can just go through them, Kim. That's a little tree. <laughs> That's part of that big tree that came down on our house. And that's just another look at it, all right? There's some damage that happens when trees fall like that, let me tell you, all right? Now, what could you do with that? I say, did, did, uh, did I not confess some of my sin after Easter week? Or, you know, why, why did that happen? And I'm thinking, you know, I, that part of that deck, I just painted that deck a month ago, all right? A year ago, we already had that happen on our roof. We had to replace our roof. Okay, I don't mind it happening once, God, but this is, this is getting a little old. This is two or three times. Now, 
you know, can I cry out to God? God, that's not fair, right? You know, I can cry out to that, but he's saying, look, life's not fair because we're living in a world that's filled with, with things that go wrong. My, my neighbor, we, we, have, we have some you know, great neighbors in our, in our block, and actually the one good thing about this, it, it wasn't my tree, it was his tree, so it's going to go on his insurance, not my insurance. But, it, but <laughs> you, know, you know, he came over and he said, in fact, that's exactly what he said. He said, I, I, there's no way I can get out of this because you're a pastor. You know, I'm just not a, you know. And so that was my tree, not your tree. It wasn't because I'm a pastor that it was, you know, his tree and not my tree. Because I said, look at, I just had my tree do that to me, you know, a year ago. And we just got to wrestle with the reality that bad things happen. And as we think about it, what it should remind us is, where's my relation with God right now? Because something could happen that would be out of our control. And that's the second point. Again, it's, we're going to get through this morning on time. Is it fair when there is no way to guarantee you and your loved one's physical safety? Now, the good news about that is no one was out on the deck when it happened. And really, how it happened, even if, because I got to tell this to my own family, even if you've been out there, you wouldn't got hit because it kind of hit to the side, didn't hit where we normally are. But, but let's be honest. Someone could have been there, and the tree fell on them. And it's one thing when property gets damaged. It's another thing when a life gets taken or maimed. And I guess what I want to push this all to what is it that could happen in your life that if it happened, you would be rocked to the core about whether you could trust God and trust that God is a good God when, let's be honest, something really bad happened? Because it's one thing for us to mourn about the, the 15 junior hockey players that got killed on a road going to a match. But what if it had been one of your children? It's one thing to think about a man in a tower that somehow caught on fire and he got killed, but what if it was your parent or someone you know closely? It's one thing to think that I wish we could have more safety in our schools, but what if it had been one of your children at a school? Or even, even homeschooling. And it was someone that was raised in that environment and they, they took the life of others. And you cry out, it's all right to cry out to God. And, you, and you, if you read through the Psalms carefully, you realize they're crying out all the time. But at the conclusion of it, and this is what the whole story of Job is about, God, even if you continue to take everything, I'll still trust you. So as we think about doubts, we looked at last week, are doubts okay? Doubts are okay, but what do you do with your doubts? Either you hold them on tightly or you give them to God. And when horrific things happen, does it drive you to him or away from him? And Jesus gives the same response as he did to the other experiences. I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. 
And he was talking to people who did not have a relationship with him. He said, look, this is a warning to you that, that life could end at any moment. And are you ready for it? Rather than asking questions you can't answer, is answer the question you can answer. What have you done to be made right with God? Have you received his invitation of forgiveness and life that only he can give? One last point. And then Jesus, he tells them a story. And he began telling this parable. And the parable is basically a story. It really has a one-point message, though it has different parts to it. He says, a man had a fig tree which had been planted in his vineyard, and he, and he came looking for fruit on it, and he did not find any. I can totally relate to that. I finally, I, I've, some of you have been here for a while. You know, I told you about my orange trees that just did not bear fruit. Well, I, this last year, I just gave up faith. I just took them out, all right? There's no more orange trees in my in my home anymore, okay? So I just, I just eat, I eat other people's oranges now, okay? Well, they're, they're you know, well, so the owner comes in, and it's, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a garden of, or vineyard of, of fig trees. And he said to the vineyard keeper, behold, for three years I've come looking for fruit on this tree without finding any. It looks good, but there's nothing bearing that we can eat. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? And that's the conclusion I came to. I said, look at, I'm watering this, I'm feeding it, I'm spending money on it, I'm getting nothing out of it. But then the, the care keeper said this, and he answered and said, let it alone, sir, for, for this year too, until I dig around it and put, it in, put in fertilizer. And if it bears fruit next year, fine, but if not, cut it down. Now, now some look at this and they put Israel in it and it's quite possible there's some images related to Israel but I really think he's just speaking to that crowd and said look at I'm talking to you and if you want to know about the goodness of God when life is not fair is just realize this God is much more patient with you than you deserve isn't that true he's more patient with me and he says okay look I've given you three years to bear fruit there's been no fruit. Let's get rid of it. It's just wasting the ground that it's in. And, and, and the whole story is, okay, let's give it one more year. We'll fertilize it. We'll water it. I did that for 10 years with those two orange trees. Didn't get anything. I finally said, look, it, I'm getting them out, all right? There was no more mercy to those two orange trees. And what he's saying here, and this is the goodness of God. And this was found when Peter said, look, it, God is not slow about his promise, about his coming again. And hopefully you're still looking for Jesus to come at any moment. But he's not slow about his promise, but he's just holding on, waiting more to come to repentance, to relationship with him. God doesn't desire that any should perish, but all should come to him. And so the goodness of God, when life is not fair, is look at how patient God has been pleading with people to realize life is short. It's like a vapor. It's like a match. You, you, you strike it and it flames and then it's gone. And if that be true, we need to run to him, not run from him. So in many ways, what I want to say this is, is that when life is not fair, it, it's actually an example for us is that God is so good in the midst of all that we experience in life, that, that God has been patient with us for so long to, to turn to him. He's simply saying, look at one more time, turn to me now. 
The scripture always urges today, now is the time for salvation. Now is the time to turn to me. We're not going to look at that Matthew 7 passage, but it really speaks about that. We'll really know if we're really a a child of his, if if we're bearing fruit for him. And so so what this morning is very simple. Before you meet God, get right with God. And and that's really what he was saying to those who, who, who were looking at the the ones who were killed in the midst of worship, their, their blood was mixed with the, the animal sacrifices they were given as the picture of the, the one sacrifice that was to come. And right in the midst of worship, they were killed. And what was, what was the response? They should have repented. And you should have repented. And, and then the ones that they heard the story of the, the catastrophe of the tower falling on people just by a pool of water and his message, look at you better repent because all of us need to repent. And then he speaks about the goodness of God. He says, I want you to understand, look, God is good because he's given us more time. But there's coming a time when there'll be no more time. So before you meet God, get right with God. Let's pray. Father, it's it's a straightforward message. We've got to change our mind about how we see ourselves and change our mind about how we see Jesus. And if we don't know him, it's, it's, it all begins with admitting our need, believing in who Jesus is, and then committing our life to, to follow him as our Lord and Savior. And, and for us who already know you, Father, it's, it's, it's the point of each day saying, today I don't want to live for myself, but I want to live for you. I want to live in such a way that that I desire to please you in every way. Father, help us all to be right with you today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.